But why don't we grab out our Bibles? Let's turn with great enthusiasm, with great expectancy to meet with the Lord, not only as we worship and gather around the table, but through His Scriptures, which are alive, they're divinely inspired, they're able to accomplish all that He desires to accomplish. And it's our prayer this morning, as always, that we would have listening ears, we'd have our hearts ready to receive like that receptive soil, what it is that he has for us this morning. Can we pray? And then we'll launch into it. God, we just give you glory and praise for the wonder, the reality, the majesty, the beauty of who you are. That's why we're here. We're here to seek after you. We're here to love you. We're here to lay down our lives and all that we are as an offering, continually upon the altar for the glory of your name, King Jesus. Lord, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for those you inspired to pen these words for our edification, for our encouragement. And Lord, we pray that you would use this time for your glory. Open our eyes to see you afresh. Come, Holy Spirit, and work in our hearts. Lord, we want to we be a people that shine brightly, that display in a tangible way the radical reality of your love and your goodness and your grace, your mercy in the midst of a world that so desperately needs you, whether they acknowledge it or not, you are the answer to every question. And we look to you, King Jesus. Come have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can someone say amen? Amen. Are we awake and ready? Okay, let's pick up our series. We're really coming close to bringing this in to land our sermon series through the book of Romans, this incredible portion of scripture written by the Apostle Paul. And we've kind of in some ways finished this great exploration of theology. We've come over the last few weeks to the end of Paul's practical instruction to the church, saying these are the things that you need to emphasize. This is the way the gospel looks and outworks practically. He's talked about you know, being a body where the gifts of the Spirit are expressed, where everybody has their place, a body that upholds unity. Last week we talked about a people who have this passion. He talks about the driving reality of the gospel, this glorious call as God has taken him all over the known world, proclaiming the message of the gospel. He said through the, the signs and wonders through salvation, through God's outstretched. He said, I'm I'm only boasting in him. He has done it. But through his grace, the entire region has come to the knowledge of the glory of God expressed through Christ Jesus. Let's pick up uh, the story here. He, He talks at the end of chapter 15 about his plan to visit Rome and he's He's really kind of bringing it home to this group of people that he writes to. He says, verse 30 of chapter 15, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. It's quite an appeal. I want you to grab a hold of what he's saying. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Spirit, wonderful expressions there, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that 
My service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, there is an amen, but don't get too excited. There'll be at least two more before we conclude, as Paul loves to have his final words. But we get this insight, and and stay there with me, because we're going to read another portion of Scripture in just a few moments. But if we just reflect there as, as he brings this letter to a close, there is this appeal, there's this urgent intention on his behalf, there's this recognition that Paul has of his need of other people. And you see this throughout his letters, all, all the way through his writing, he continually talks about the fact that it's not just me. Philippians is probably the, the greatest example where he actually says, you guys are as much a part of this as me. We're in this together. He talks about koinonia, this bonding together. You're, you're my partners in the gospel. He uses that phrase. And so here he is reminding them, he's appealing them that this is not just Paul's journey. He's writing to, encouraging, to encourage them, but he's saying, I'm appealing to you strongly to strive together with me. You have a role. You, you have a place in this incredible story. This is not the story of Paul's gospel, of Paul's missionary journeys, of Paul's accomplishment, of accomplishments. This is the great story of God that Paul has played a role in. And he's encouraging and inviting the Roman church and us today as we read this into this great story of God. And so he continues, and this is probably a portion of the book of Romans that most of us would tend to skip. We're going to see 24 names here. 13, we know some about. 11, we know nothing else about. I've been practicing my pronunciation and enunciation this week. So are you ready for 24 names as we personalize and bring this gospel, this letter that Paul has written, this incredible exploration of God's work down to a group of people? Deep breath. He says this, 16 verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, deacon literally is the word of the church, at Chenchurae, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church who's in their house. Greet my beloved... Parents expecting, there's a few, few names in here you might consider if you're looking for something a little original and unique. Greet my beloved Apennitus. Any other takers? Or we'll, we'll stick with that one? Okay. Who was uh, the first convert to Christ in Asia? Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They were well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Here's a few more for you. Greet Amphilitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus. Sounds very modern, doesn't it? It's got that kind of urban sort of feel. A fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachius. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Now, I did actually research that one. 
That is from the root word of a narcissist. So I'm not quite sure what you do with that, but there you go. Interesting name, interesting thought. Greet those workers in the Lord. Tryphania and Tryphosea. Greet the beloved Persis, who's worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet, I'm just going to leave those ones to your own devices, who are with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Neresis and his sister, Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I feel like I need a round of applause. Thank you. Yes. I did try. I, before the Lord, I did try practicing some of those names and clearly failed miserably. And so why would I even read a list? Why would Paul record a list rather than trying to make a bumbling fool of myself in front of you all? I was trying to illustrate a point. See, it's far too easy, I think, when we read Scripture, particularly a book like Romans, with such incredible theology with this incredible call, as, as Paul even last week, he proclaims his mission of spreading the gospel. We have this tendency to almost depersonalize it. And I love that Paul brings it back here to a group of people. These were real people with real names. A lot of them, I, I don't exactly even know how to pronounce them, but they were real people doing real things. None of these people here listed in Romans 16 were necessarily famous or powerful in the world's eyes. Certainly, I would suspect that none of them knew that their names would be enshrined in Scripture for billions of people to read in the fullness of time. But each of these had an important role to play in kingdom purposes. Paul acknowledges them. Paul thanks them for the different roles that they played. And the point, if you catch nothing else from this morning's sermon is this. The gospel is outworked. This incredible theology, this call, the glory of God proclaimed in the nation, salvation, signs and wonders. It's planted. It's outworked. It's it's given to a community of ordinary people doing ordinary things, but caught up in this extraordinary, glorious purpose and plan of the eternal God. See, it's not a book that's given to a group of theologians and scholars. He doesn't say, here, take this work to the the halls of academia, examine it. Look at the the Greek nuances. Look at the root. I mean, all of that's important, and that's wonderful. But he's giving this message to a group of people. He's saying, I'm urging you, this this group of people, the, the ordinary people doing ordinary things, I'm giving you this urgent call, this appeal to strive with me. We're in this together and you have a part and a role to play. And in fact, in some ways, although this is a portion of scripture that many would skip over, I think it's fascinating because it gives us a snapshot and potentially the most complete snapshot of a church. This group of believers in this real place during a real time, with real struggles. And he names them and he thanks them for the different contributions. Thank you for the different things that you're doing and for the part that you do play in this incredible mission of the gospel. 
So the point is simply this. The gospel that's given to real people in real places in the midst of real circumstances, some of them going through real struggles, but with a real faith and a real saviour, ordinary people caught up living ordinary lives and the extraordinary reality of this gospel of grace that we're called to proclaim to the ends of the earth, and then he will return. And so I want to just encourage us, hopefully, in a few of these names. As I said, 13 of these names we do know a little bit about from inscriptions, from other documents of the time. 11 of them we have no mention, no historical record, other than what Paul gives us here in the book of Romans. But inscriptions help to reveal and illuminate if you've had the, uh, the privilege of traveling to Europe or the UK, perhaps even some places elsewhere in the world, one thing that you're always struck by, or I am as an Australian, is history. You, know, you walk through these buildings and you think, wow, this, this was built a thousand years before Australia in its modern sense was even called a nation. And you often see little inscriptions about the person who built it. This was built by so-and-so, and you get this, this intriguing insight into their lives. And we found that the kids and I, as we, the family, as we traveled through Europe early this year, we, we found ourselves kind of wondering, especially when you go through a fascinating place like Pompeii. Who's been to Pompeii? Anyone traveled? This incredibly preserved 2,000-year-old city. I mean, obviously, tragic circumstances as it was preserved due to the volcanic eruption, but There was bread that was still in the ovens. There was people who were going about their their daily life. And this fascinating insight into the way they live that gives us all sorts of insights about who they were and what they did. And so, in some ways, this is our little snapshot into the Roman church. So let's look at a few of these, and then we're just going to bring this back together and see where we go this morning. First of all, 16 verse 1, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, a deacon of the church, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Help her in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron of me and of myself as well. He gives her a special commendation. Who was Phoebe? Well, we do know something about her. Uh, We believe that she was a single woman. She was obviously a woman of some means. Her name, the name Phoebe, actually comes from Gentile origin, so it's believed she was a single, wealthy uh, businesswoman that Paul gives the church uh, a special instruction to welcome her. Now, interestingly, most people believe because of the, uh, the commendation that he gives Phoebe, that Phoebe was actually the one that he entrusted the letter of Romans to carry. I'd say that's a large majority view. There's not everybody who feels the same way, but it seems very likely that she was the one that Paul writes his letter and he picks her, this wealthy, single, female, business, Gentile who's met the Lord to carry this letter. And obviously that's a position of great honour and respect. Not only in those days would a letter carrier physically carry, carry the letter, but they would normally be the one when they arrived where they were to go to read the letter. Often they would be expected to have enough knowledge to be able to at least convey some of the things behind the letter that the author had written. And so I would simply say this, some people perhaps make too much of that particular example, but many, many people make too little 
This is an incredible role that the Apostle Paul has given to Phoebe, a wealthy Gentile businessman, to carry this letter, the ultimate explanation of the gospel to this church. And so he's saying, I'm commending her to you. Welcome her. Allow her. Give her everything that she needs. She's been given this position of honor. We read on and we see people like Prissa and Aquila. Luke actually refers to the same couple and as he pens the book of Acts. He calls her by uh, an abbreviated name, Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila. It's a husband and wife team. So they are here, obviously, within the Roman church community. We find them in, in other places. In 1 Corinthians, it mentions they were in Ephesus. They've followed Paul at different stages in his journey. And what I love about them is that they're tent makers, so there's no evidence that they were people of particular wealth or means. They had a working-class blue-collar job. But everywhere they went, it's described that there are people who invite others in. They hold a, a church or a gathering of believers in the home. That's, 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 their, that's their calling. That's the, the gifting they played as part of the church, these working-class people that just love to be a part of what God was doing. Hey, come on in. Let's, let's gather together. Let's read the scriptures. And in fact, they were clearly people who knew the word of God. And there's this one example, we see this in Acts um, chapter 18, where a guy by the name of Apollos is preaching and he's having quite some impact for the gospel, but he doesn't have a complete theology. We're not told exactly what it was that he was missing out, but he was more focused on the baptism of John, of repentance. That's a good thing, but... It says that uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they take him aside to explain more fully the gospel. And clearly he receives their instruction and he goes on to have an incredibly impacting ministry. And so they were were a couple who brought correction where it was needed, but genuinely, well, Paul says, "I, I owe my life to them. Like they stepped in when things got really tough. They risked their necks for me. But they were this husband and wife team, just... Clearly loved people, loved the Lord, and wherever they were, in Rome and Ephesus, back to Rome, we believe, potentially back to Ephesus, again, they would welcome people in. It was a church. It was hosted in their home. We read on, there's Andronicus and Junia. Now, that, again, is a, is a male and a female. They were Jewish people, he says. They're my kinsmen, as in the same genealogy, if you like, as Paul He said they were imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, fellow prisoners. And yet he has this interesting phrase saying they were well regarded among the apostles. The literal translation there is that they were named among the apostles. They were considered potentially, the implication here is that they were considered as apostles in the sense not of the 12 apostles, but as people in the early church that had been sent with a calling and a recognized authority to bring and proclaim the gospel. We don't know if they were brother and sister, again, if they were husband and wife, but two people that Paul makes special mention of. And then you get the other side of the coin here, verse 13. I love this particular account that Paul includes here. Having greeted and welcomed and thanked for for serving and encouraging and helping all these different people, he says this in verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and greet his mother. Rufus's mother, who has also been a mother to me as well. Don't you love that little detail? I mean, what, what, what does that look like? What's Paul thinking as he greets this friend of his and greet my friend's mother? 
Because she was a mother to me. I, I, I don't know. I'm just, just conjecture. But I imagine she was the sort of woman and a lady who every time she said Paul, she said, you know, Paul, are you, are you looking after yourselves? Are you well fed? Like, come, come, come home. Let me cook a big lasagna. You know, just kind of loved on him a bit. Just, just did what, that's what mothers do, don't they? They take care of their kids and come on and give you a bit of a love. And, and yet he mentions her or the Holy Spirit inspires and says, make, make mention of Rufus's mother. Her home-cooked meals, her big mama hugs. And on goes the list. See, what strikes you if you kind of peel back and peek beneath the surface here is you get this incredible mixture of people. It's a mixture of Jew and Gentile. In fact, there's probably slightly more Gentile names than there is Jews. And that's what we know about the Roman church. It was this mixture, both of Jew and Gentile. Makes sense. There was wealthy and poor. There were some here who clearly had royal ties. There were people of great means and wealth. And there were people who at this particular time were slaves. Wealthy, poor. There was men and women. And again, I'm not trying to make some theological position or state of theological position on the role of women in ministry. But what I would say is that Romans presents quite a different picture than, say, a couple of verses out of 1 Timothy or some of the other portions of Scripture that, that um, cause people to form a certain view of the way that Paul viewed the role of women in ministry. Here he is encouraging them. He's saying that they're recognized in the churches as deacons. They're, they're sent potentially, probably, possibly with the authority of carrying this letter and proclaiming it publicly in a church. They're named and recognized in the early churches among the apostles, well known to the apostles, whatever phrase you want to use. And again, I'm not getting into details. It's a message for another day. But there was a, a high view on the role of women. They weren't just the bystanders. They weren't the, the left. They were front and center in Paul's encouragement to strive with me in the gospel, in all aspects, including the amazing lasagna that was cooked by his father in the Lord. I loved on him a bit. Jew, Gentile, wealthy and poor, men and women, laboring together, serving, encouraging, helping, loving, standing side by side and striving together with this extraordinary call to preach and proclaim the gospel. Ordinary people living out ordinary lives with this extraordinary call. Everything here from wealthy Gentile businesswomen, through working class, through the mummers of the faith, all playing their roles within this incredible community of faith. So what's the point? The point, as I said, is simply this. I never want us as a people, and we focused on this last week, I never want us to lose that incredible reality of seeking after Jesus, of making him known, of laying everything, as Paul says, I'm boasting in nothing else because this is, my, this is what I live for. I live to know him. I live to pursue him. I live to just boast in his works as his gospels preached and proclaimed and the nations come in and people are saved and restored and like this extraordinary call to go out, 
to every nation to preach the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Like we, we should never lose the wonder. We should never lose the, the greatness. We should never lose the vastness of that reality. We shouldn't. But at the same time, I never want us to lose not just the glory of the call, but at times the ordinariness of the context. The inclusivity, the, the reality that everybody has a role to play. The extraordinary call of the kingdom built on ordinary people doing ordinary things. Can we look at one more por- portion of scripture and then really quickly, and then we'll bring this to land. Just come with me to the book of Luke's, the book of Luke's, the book of Luke. I want you to see just the intro. I remember uh, being so struck by this this introduction to Luke's gospel. Luke, of course, he's a Gentile physician. He's come to faith. He hasn't been around uh, to see Jesus face to face, but clearly he had that kind of fine mind where he interviewed many people. He he knew the eyewitnesses. And so he, he sets down to... To pen this account, obviously he, he writes the gospel according to Luke. He'll then write his second letter, which is the book of Acts. Two books that, I mean, let's be honest, you, you could not underestimate the power and the importance of these two pieces of writing in terms of all the literature of the world. You know, if, if you have someone a hundred years after your life who's still reading your works, you, you're doing pretty good. A thousand years, you're exceptional. If 2,000 years after you penned some letters, billions of people still read your writings, your work, and held it up to be inspired by the living God, you would have to say that is some pretty extraordinarily incredible fruit. Like that's, What else compares to that? And that's, that's the writing of Luke. And we, we believe in the Bible, as I said, we believe in its power, we believe in its inspiration. But I want you to grab this as he gives his motivation for writing this particular letter. Gospel of Luke chapter 1, he says, And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, many other people have done this. He might be referring to the Gospels, there might have been other attempts as well. So just as those who are from the beginning, eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us. Verse 3, here it is. It seemed good to me, having followed these things for closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. It seemed good to me. Now, I don't want to be flippant with this, but I want to use this to make a point. It seemed good to me. You see, how do you think God would inspire his words, these words that he knew that would be read thousands of years Later, how do you think that God would go about inspiring his word? And if it was me, I think I would, in my mind, I'd envision something more like the Apostle John. And this is good and valid too, but it says, book of Revelation, he's there on the Lord's day. And all of a sudden, he's caught up before the throne room of God. He's seeing the living creatures. There is the eternal one seated on the throne. There's the elders casting their thrones down. And, and then literally word for word, he's, he's recounting the words of the living God. The yes and amen, the alpha and omega. Now that's, that's great. I mean, 
Who's up for that kind of encounter? I love the book of Revelation, this literal throne room revelation. But then I also love the Luke's, where he starts off here and he's like, well, you know, a lot of people have done this. There's some other accounts as well around, but it just seemed like a good idea. It just, it just seemed like a good idea. Like God's given me a fine mind. He's given me that sort of analytical brain. I just, I just thought it might be a good idea. And again, I don't want to be flippant. I'm not trying to undervalue or underestimate. I'm just trying to say there is this reality somehow, sometimes for us, especially when you read a book of Romans, this incredible theology, it's to kind of leave it in that place of the extraordinary. And it is. But it's an extraordinary gospel and good news given to some very ordinary people. It's both and. It should be the moments like... The Apostle John, as he's, he's caught up, and you know, if you have that kind of moment, then just do whatever the Lord says, okay? Just, just do. Follow his instructions. Absolutely. But that's not the only way that God moves and speaks and unfolds his plans. There's times as well, like Luke, where he's like, well, it just seemed a little bit ordinary. It seemed like I'm just kind of doing this. I'm just going about my life. I'm just loving my kids. I'm just trying to work a hard job. I'm just kind of opening up my house and welcoming people in. I'm just baking lasagna and making sure the man of God's well fed and he's eating his meals. Are you eating your vegetables? Giving him a big hug. Like it's both and it is all of the above. And so as we've, we've focused and hopefully, hopefully emphasized time and time again through the book of Romans, this glorious gospel, this glorious God who saves, this incredible call to be a part of this mission, for his name to be proclaimed throughout the nations. Never want to lose the wonder and the greatness and the grandeur of that. At the same time, I never want us to lose that reality of the way that the gospel is so often played out in the lives of ordinary people, doing ordinary things for an extraordinary God and his extraordinary kingdom. I want us to pray. If you can just put your Bibles aside. I don't know if Ali's still here. Happy to come up. the wonderful thing about the gospel is it is it is found in the halls of academia it is found as even Paul the the intellectuals of the age grapple with this profound truth that we will remember and rejoice in and celebrate for decades and millennium the other side of eternity but at the same time It's a gospel, it's given, it's found in the midst of ordinary people. Real people, in real places, real circumstances. With the real urgency and call from the Apostle Paul. 
Strive together with me. Come on, we have a part to play. And don't let ordinary lives rob you of an extraordinary call. So if you just turn your attention to him, don't look at me. I want to pray for us. But I want to ask us this question as I do. How is it that the gospel can play more of a role? How is it that our lives can be more shaped? As ordinary as they might seem, how is it that that reality, as Luke says, just, just, just a good idea? And maybe for some of us it is a radical call. Maybe it is. Maybe it's to sell everything you have, to move overseas, serve on the mission field. Maybe it is. But maybe it's just in the ordinariness. Maybe there's some way that it can shape the way that we treat others. The way that we love our husbands, our wives, our kids. Maybe it's in the fact that God's given us ways and means. There's business opportunities. There's favor in an area of your life and in the midst of that that God has some ways of unfolding his extraordinary gospel and kingdom through the ordinariness of our day to day's life so Father I just I thank you for these words of Paul I thank you that as he lands this letter, he lands it not within just theological definitions, not just within the halls of the learned and the great and the significant of his age and our age, but Lord, he, he lands this incredible message of who you are and what you've done with the call for the everybody's to strive together with him in this glorious mission. Thank you that everybody has a role to play. From the single Gentile women, business women, the husbands and wives, the mothers, Lord, I thank you that there is a grace and there's a call for us to find your extraordinary goodness and grace in surprising and ordinary ways in our lives. And I pray even this morning, Lord, there'd be an opportunity. Just show us what that looks like. Show us how the ordinariness can be more shaped can be more impacted, can be more undergirded, can be more fueled. Show us what that, that part is that you have for us to play. I ask that, Lord Jesus, in your wonderful name. Thank you, Lord Jesus.